Shabbat Shalom. The book of life. What is the book of life? A book that at times is actually referred to as the book of the living. At times it's referred to as just simply book. Or in the context where the Lord's speaking, he's saying my book. Or he would say uh, from a servant to the Lord's context, your book. A very general term. And at other times we find my favorite title for this book. The Lamb's Book of Life. Well, what is this book? Well, to, to oversimplify it, it's essentially, it's a list of names. That's what the book of life is. It's a list of names. It would be quite apropos to actually name it the book of names. Because that's what it is. Names which the Lord has officially declared. Names which are known specifically to Him. And let me say this, if there's any book that you want to see your name displayed in, this is the one. It's the book of life, amen? And the further we get into today's message, the more you're going to realize this. Now, the first time we see the book of life mentioned in Scripture is actually found in the book of Exodus. And this is very ironic to me, that we would find this list of names or the, the book of life mentioned first time in all of Scripture in the book of Exodus. And let me tell you why. Do you know what the Hebrew for the book Exodus is? The Hebrew word for the book Exodus is actually Shemot. Do you know what Shemot means? It means names. Now tell me how ironic is that? That the first time that really the book of names is actually mentioned in Scripture is actually in the book of names. You cannot make this stuff up. Now, how the book of life makes its first appearance, i got to tell you, is very interesting to me in the sense that it's revealed in a very special discourse between Moses and God. A discourse that takes place just after that famous golden calf incident. Now, most of us are familiar with the story that Moses, he goes up to the mountain to meet with God, and we all know the story, right? He goes up there to get what? He goes up there to get the Aseret HaDevarim. He goes up there to get the tablets of the covenant, right? And, all right, so Moses, he goes up to this mountain. We're talking about the first time that the book of life is actually revealed. And so Moses goes up to the mountain, and the Lord gives him the tablets of the covenant. He comes down, and what do we know happened? Well, this is what happens. He comes down, and he sees the children of Israel committing idolatry. They're worshiping a golden, a golden calf. And this blows his mind. He becomes angry. And you, just, you have to love Aaron's discourse and his explanation for the matter. Well, Moses, you know, we just grabbed this gold, we threw it in, and oh, pop, popped out this calf. I have no idea what happened. But Moses, he's livid. So he literally cast the tablets down. And you would think, most of us, if you're honest with yourself, you'd be like, I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to put up with these people. That's not what Moses does. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of honor. Scripture says he was the most humble man on the earth. Numbers 12. So what does Moses do? He goes back up to the mountain. Why? 
because he's going to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel. He wants to intercede. He wants the Lord to forgive their sin. At which point we read this. Exodus 32, verse 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. This has always been for me one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. But what I want to focus on here is not so much of the fact of Moses' incredible character, which it is incredible, but I want to focus on the fact that he is in what you would call the know. Moses is in the know concerning a specific book that exists, which Moses calls specifically Sifrecha, which is to say your book. He knows about this book. This is fascinating to me. But even more than that, he doesn't just know about this book. He seems to be aware of the contents that are within the book itself. And we can pick this up just from what we read here. He seems to think that there are names. This would refer to the contents. There are names of people written in this particular book. And those people are in fact, as Moses, as we could draw from here, they're in good standing with God. Let's take it a step further. This is where things get really interesting. It's the fact that Moses actually believes those that are inscribed here in this book, this is what's amazing, he believes they can be blotted out. Again, proof, right in the verse. Proof from what he says. He actually believes they can be blotted out, right? Now, if in fact this is a true statement, if in fact we can be blotted out, Understand, that is theologically massive. It's theologically earth-shattering because this suggests that one who is in fact in the book can in fact be taken out. It's a game-changer for anyone who subscribes to the once-saved-always-saved theology. A theology that states you can't lose your salvation. Yeah, once you've said the prayer, once you've made that commitment, your salvation's locked. Nothing, not even yourself, could inhibit or inhibit in any way your access uh, to eternal life. However, if you look at this passage closely, you realize that if you subscribe to a once saved, always saved theology, you know, you're presented with a bit of a quandary, a bit of a dilemma here. Because according to Moses, one can be blotted out. Now, let me point out the obvious here. You can't be blotted out of something that you were never in to begin with. Do we understand that? Can't happen, right? However, having said this, to be fair, we have to ask the question, is it the truth? I mean, is it really possible for someone to be blotted out who is already in the book of life? Or is Moses simply drawing conclusions that are not necessarily accurate? Is that possible? Well, as we continue into the next verse, any potential debate regarding this issue is going to be put to rest. Look at what happens in verse 33. And the Lord said to Moshe, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Period. So not only do we discover uh, that you can be blotted out of the book, but here we are given the reason why someone would be blotted out. Why? Sin. That's the reason why. We're given a lot of information here. Very short passage, 
But a lot of information is given here. The reason you get blotted out is sin. Now, I know what you're thinking, okay, Daniel, if, if, if that is in fact the case, if in fact uh, everyone is going to be blotted out who sins against God, that's going to be a very empty book, right? Because everyone has sinned. Is that not the scriptural testimony? Well, let's look at this. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's pretty clear. Moving, moving back a little bit. Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He's quoting from Psalm 14 here. Okay, He's quoting scripture. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Okay, so there's no question about it. Everyone has sin. So knowing this fact that everyone has sin, going back to verse 33 here, is the Lord actually stating that everyone is simply blotted out of the book? The answer to that is, of course not. That's not the context of what the Lord is talking about. That's not what he's attempting to convey to Moses here. Actually, what the Lord is saying here is that those who willfully rebel against him, who choose to rebel rather than to repent, rather than to turn back, these are the ones that are going to be blotted out. And let me be clear here. I'm not taking any great liberties of interpreting or reading into this text. I'm looking at the totality of Scripture to understand the passage itself. All scripture must harmonize with, each, with itself, right? All these different passages have to harmonize. Let me prove what I just uh, stated. And I want to take you to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. And this is what we read. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, meaning Yeshua... He was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Do you understand what he said? It's a very straightforward statement. If, in fact, you're in a relationship with Yeshua, guess what? You do not sin. That's it. And then he goes on, whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. So if you've ever sinned, what John is saying, if you were to take this hyper-literally, if you sin, you do not know him. You've neither seen him nor known him. Going on to verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. You know, when, when, when the apostles start out with a, a statement like that, your ears need to perk up because there's deception involved in this concept where your heart will deceive you. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices poieo in the Greek literally means to do. You're doing it. You're walking it out. He who walks it or practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 
In other words, those who are in the Messiah Yeshua, they can't stomach it. They can't palate sin. They have conviction, literally, uh, scraping at their heart, this very center of their heart. They can't stomach it. It ties their stomachs in knots, to even to be engulfed in it, to participate in it. Now, does this mean that everyone who confesses Yeshua as Lord, they're never going to stumble again? Of course not. That's not what it means. But they won't let sin reign in their life. They fight. They repent. They live lives worthy of repentance, truly having the desire in their heart to please the Lord. So this is the context of exactly what we be, uh, find being spoken here in Exodus 32, verse 33. Now, for the sake of clarity, I do want to address what it means to actually be blotted out. I just want to hit this uh, front on. I, I assume most of you have already come to the obvious conclusion But just in case you haven't, I want to clear the air. What does it mean to be blotted out of the book? I'm going to let Revelation chapter 20 answer this question. And this is what we read in Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Okay, so this is interesting. John's vision that he's having here, he sees everyone, the, the dead, small and great, they're standing before God, and the book's were opened, and another book was opened. So here we have books, in the plural, and then we have another book, all right? And what is that other book? Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. It's fascinating because if you read Daniel chapter 7, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel saw the exact same thing John saw. And he says, the court was seated, and the books were open. What are in these books, aside from the book of life? Because a distinction is made between books and the book of life. What are in the books? Well, we just read what is in the books. At the end of the passage, it says, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. In other words, guess what, people? Your deeds, your actions that you do in this life, they are recorded. Much scarier than the whole scenario of the fictitious Santa Claus who keeps his little checklist, whether you've been naughty or nice. Which, make no mistake, it is a play off of the authentic. That is a play off of the authentic because our God is keeping tally. It's supposed to, this concept is supposed to induce the fear of God into you. The concept of knowing your deeds and your actions, your choices that you make every day. They're recorded. Remember that. And moving on to verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The bottom line is that if you're blotted out of the book of life, you're not in the book of life. If you're not in the book of life, you're dead. You're a dead man. You will face the wrath of God. This is exactly what it means to be blotted out of the book of life, taken out. So the Lord's declaration, going back to our main passage, or not, 
Hello? There we go. Exodus 32, 33. Going back to this passage, this declaration, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Make no mistake, it's a threat. You better believe it is a threat from the Lord and he will make good on that threat. It is a warning. Call it whatever you want. If we willingly sin against God, we're going to be sentenced to death. So the statement that is made here, it packs a wallop when it's understood in its proper, context, in its proper context. And yes, I can tell you, it's statements like this, they're recorded for our benefit. Statements like this are meant to induce fear. They're meant to induce repentance so that we don't incur the wrath. This statement that some people think, oh, this is harsh. This is just brutal. God just seems so angry. No, this is grace. This is mercy. This is love. He is coming forth and he is warning us, don't do these things. Why does he do that? Because he wants good. He wants good for us. What is Jeremiah 29? I know the plans that I have for you, right? That they are good. One thing I can tell you about Torah, and as you're going through, you start reading through Torah. If, in fact, you read it through the lens of Yeshua with an open heart, it is going to do one thing. It is going to lead you to repentance. I mean, true repentance out of a sincere heart. It will bring you inside that narrow path. It'll give you the wisdom of God. Torah is very, very powerful when saw through the lens of Yeshua. In other words, when you make your commitment, you proclaim your faith in Yeshua, and then you go to his word, watch what happens. It's marvelous. It's amazing. I want to take you to Psalms 9. This is what we read. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Here David describes what happens to the enemies. To the enemies of the Lord. They have been blotted out. But something specific is blotted out. What? The name. Their name is blotted out. What is this a reference to? It's a direct reference to the book of life. Their names have been taken out from the book of life. They've been erased, if you will, from existence. Let me jump ahead to Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. This is an amazing statement. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life. This is a specific group of people that are standing, marveling, okay, at the beast. From the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Again, this what's interesting about this passage is John sees this in a vision. It is the exact same thing that is recorded in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 14. Let me just read to you, I didn't put it up here, but let me just read to you a, passion, a, 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 a portion from Isaiah 14. This is what it said. It's all about the revelation of Hasatan, of Satan. This is what it says. Those who see you 
will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, all of them uh, sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like a garment of those who are slain. Powerful. What a powerful passage. It's literally the revelation we're told here, and this is exactly what John confirms in his vision, is that there's going to be a revelation of people that are on the face of the planet, specifically whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they are going to marvel. They're going to marvel that this one person could do the world such harm, generation after generation after generation. Let me move back a couple chapters and build upon this. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. You know, if your name isn't in this book, then you are with those who worship the beast. Which if you're hearing this for the first time, now is the time to turn to the Lord Yeshua. The prophet Joel tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. If you're not living a life worthy of repentance, now the time's to, it's, it's time to turn your life around. To make good decisions. To turn away from the world. You want to be ascribed in this book of life, but you have to make the choice. You have to. You have to make the choice to live for Yeshua. I promise you, the sacrifice will be worth it. You will have to sacrifice everything that the world is throwing at you, but it will be worth it in the end. Let it go. Let the world go and embrace the King, the Messiah, who paid, who literally died for you. He died for you. Embrace Him. With everything you got, make a commitment. Let me share with you uh, some passages in Scripture which I think is going to help give you some further perspective in regard to the importance of the Lord knowing your name. Because you having a name is everything. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. Not just in the life to come, but in this life. I want to go to Acts 19.11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and, or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. What an awesome anointing. You guys want to know what we need to have on a prayer request list that I want all of you praying for is that anointing. That's the type of anointing we're Garments that are being taken out of corner fringe are healing the sick because the, 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 the weight and the glory of the Ruach HaKodesh is, is falling upon us. What an awesome, awesome thing. It's just amazing to, to read this, that this stuff took place. We go on in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant, itinerant just means vagabond. These vagabond Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call uh, the name of the Lord Yeshua over those who have evil spirits. 
saying, we exercise you by Yeshua whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Now, when you look at what these men are attempting to do, honestly, it seems intelligent. It seems appropriate. I mean, Yeshua, the, the, the very Yeshua that Paul preached, we know he was the true Messiah. Would anyone dispute that? Typically not in, not in this room anyways. He was the Messiah. And we know that in Yeshua's name is power. There is, there is deliverance in his name. Deliverance from oppression, right? He sets the captives free. There is power in him. So, what is actually happening here seems quite appropriate, except for, look at what happens next. In Acts 19, verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Yeshua, I know. Did you catch that? They know Yeshua. Paul, I know. But who are you? What an amazing statement. Yeshua, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay, so hold on a second. Here we see that an evil spirit, he proclaims Yeshua, no surprise there. I mean, how many times do you read in Scripture, any time Yeshua came in contact with any demonic activity, they fell down groveling, pleading for their life. Read the Gospels. It is awesome. And they all of them, well, you'll see in all these circumstances, they cry something out. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. This is what would protrude from their mouth. It was awesome. And they groveled before him. So it's no surprise to say, when the demons say, well, we know who Yeshua is. In other words, they know this name that they're proclaiming. But then, this uh, evil spirit goes on to state that he knows who Paul is. Why? Why does he know who the Apostle Paul is? I'll tell you why. He knows Paul by name because Paul is known to Yeshua. Because Paul is actually written in the book of life. And this aspect in in the spiritual realm is revealed. But guess what? These seven sons of Sceva, he doesn't know. What an amazing revelation. Understand something, in the spiritual world, the demons, the unclean spirits, know who is who. They do. They know exactly what is going on. In the spiritual realm, those who are Yeshua's, they're marked. They're clearly marked. They have a name. Their name is known. It's in the book of life. And the other ones that they don't know, they don't exist. They're as good as dead. Look at Isaiah 14, verse 20. You will not be joined with them in burial. Now, what is this referring to? The reason I, I, one of the reasons I took you to that Isaiah passage was to set the precedent, set the stage. It's about Satan. So when it says, you will not be joined with them, this is the Hasatan. Hasatan's not going to be joined with the people of the earth in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. Now listen. The brood, which is the seed or the offspring of evildoers, shall never be named. The offspring of evildoers will never be named. What does that tell you? They will never be found in the book of life. This is what it means. 
they will never be named. How important it is that the Lord knows your name. Let me take you to Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. They're calling him by name. All these people that are gathered, they're calling him by name. Lord, Lord. And look at what they proclaim. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Amazing. I never knew you. Why? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The people who chose to walk in rebellion, to chose uh, to walk in lawlessness, the Lord comes right on and says, I don't know your name. He can't identify with them. He doesn't know who they are. And what happens to them? They're cast into the eternal fire. Right? Whereas in contrast, uh, when Yeshua does know our name, calls us by name, well then we can absolutely guarantee that just that very action, it's it's an indication that we are part of the elect. And we can easily confirm uh, this reality just by simply going to different passages in Scripture. I mean, you think about Samuel, when he was a little boy, what happened? He was with, he was brought to Eli, we know Hannah, he brought him to Eli. But as he's sleeping at night, he hears this voice, and what is it? Samuel, Samuel, right? What did the Lord do? He called them by name. There's no question that he is the Lord's servant. There's no question that Samuel is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's awesome. Let me take you to Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know. And this is uh, the discourse just after what we just covered uh, in the beginning. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. What an amazing piece of information we're given here. It's not a coincidence. It's It's intentional. Moses records, this is recorded for us. Here Moses declares that the Lord has said to him, I know you by name. Now it even gets more interesting when you look at the next statement, and it says, you, all, you have also found grace in my sight. It is not a coincidence that these two things Moses coupled together. That you have found grace in my sight, I know you by name. There's no question that Moses was truly a servant of the Lord. The Lord knew him. He has a name ascribed, inscribed in the book of life. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this. And there we go. Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Yaakov, and he, form, and, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Listen to this. I have called you by your name. You are mine. What an amazing statement. I've called you by your name. You are mine. You know, the whole thing of when the Lord calls you by name, it's a declaration. This is a declaration of ownership. It's a declaration that you are his. It really is a powerful thing for Yeshua to know you by name. Case in point, we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17. 
Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I want you to think about that statement. Here the 70 come back. They are so overwhelmed, they can't even get their mind wrapped around what they just experienced. They're going out, casting out demons and the mighty name of Yeshua, and they are seeing these spirits who are more powerful than mortals having to submit to them because they come to them in the name of Yeshua, and they are in awe. And yet they bring this information back to Yeshua, says, no, 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 do not be in awe about that. Where our jaw is supposed to drop, where we are supposed to be rejoicing, what is really supposed to blow our mind is that our names are written in heaven, which is to say in the Lamb's book of life. Yeshua, as the wise rabbi, brings the attention where it needs to be. Hence, today's message. You bring the attention where it needs to be. Are our names inscribed in the book of life? John chapter 10, verse 1, we read, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, this is the words of Yeshua, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Significant? Yes. Critically significant. He is calling them by name, and then he leads them out. Fascinating passage that corresponds directly to this is found in Enoch 43, verse 1. Listen to what this says. This is amazing. And I saw their lightnings and the stars of heaven. And I saw how he called them all by their names. He's calling. This is, okay, the, it, the Lord is calling stars by their names. And they hearkened unto him. In other words, oh, isn't that interesting? They heard his voice. This is exactly what John chapter 10 just was telling us. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They follow him, right? Verse 2 And I saw how they are all weighed in a righteous balance according to their proportions of light. I saw the width of their spaces and the day of their appearing and how the revolution produces lightning. And I saw the revolution according to the number of the angels and how they keep faith with each other. Going ahead, verse 3. And I asked the angel who went with me, who showed me what was hidden. What are these? In verse 4, and he said to me, The Lord of the spirits has shown thee their parabolic meaning. These are the names of the holy who dwell on earth and believe in the name of the Lord of spirits forever and ever. What a passage. You see these luminaries, what Enoch was seeing in this vision-like and very revelation type of atmosphere or a Daniel type of atmosphere, an Ezekiel type of atmosphere. He's seeing these stars and their revolutions and the revolutions produce light and we know that that is their good works, that they're walking in righteousness. They're following. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. They're producing light. You think about the 
the terms that Yeshua said to his disciples. You do not hide a lamp under a basket. You put it on a lampstand. It gives light to the whole house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Awesome passage. Awesome passage with deep meaning. But the key component here, without me going too far down the path, he calls them by name because they are his. Psalm 47, verse 2. The Lord builds up Yerushalayim. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them by name. Calls them all by name. Psalm 147 is the exact same thing that Enoch saw. Let me take you to the Messianic Apocalypse. This was a document found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is what it says. Will you not find the Lord in this, all those who hope in their hearts? For the Lord seeks the pious and calls the righteous by name. Everywhere you look in Scripture, those who are the Lord's, they are called by name. More than anything in this life, you should desire to have a name by the Lord. You should desire to be called by Him. You want to be called by Him. Nothing takes precedence over this calling. And the only way this is going to happen is if you give your life to Yeshua. Again, as I said before, you've got to let go of the world. You've got to let go of all the things that uh, the world holds dear, that the world is chasing after, and you have to embrace His love. You have to embrace His kindness. If you call upon His name, you are going to be saved. It's your hope. You have hope. No matter what you've done, He can forgive that. Amen? I want to close with the following passages. Passages that really show victory. That show the hope that awaits us for those who commit themselves to Yeshua. In Revelation 3, 5, Yeshua says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. It's the words of Yeshua. He will not blot you out if, in fact, you overcome. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. This is a promise. That's what this is. This is a promise. If we overcome... If we overcome the temptations, if we overcome the fleshly desires, if we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Yeshua, if we forsake the pursuit of gain in this life, if we're not ashamed of the name of Yeshua, Yeshua tells us He will not blot us out. He is going to confess us. Now what does that tell you about the book of life? What does it tell you about the book of life? What does it tell you That when Yeshua says, he will confess you before the Father. Think about that. Make the connection here. It tells us that it is Yeshua's confession, specifically, that actually inscribes your name in the book of life. In other words, your salvation all depends on Yeshua. No one can save you but him alone. This is why Yeshua says that no one comes to the Father apart from me. Right? In in John 14. You will not see the Father apart from Him. Period. And we're going to jump ahead to Revelation 21, verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written... Oh, interesting, look at the term used here. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to think about that statement. The book of life... The, the book of the living, the book of the righteous, it's, it, it comes by so many terms. It's called the Lamb's book of life in Revelation 21. What does that tell you about the Lamb? He's the author and the finisher of the faith. It is through Him that we have salvation. Amen? This is the gospel. This is the gospel we have to bring. We bow your heads just for... A brief prayer. Father God, we just uh, rejoice in your Shabbat. We rejoice in your Sabbath. Uh, We rejoice in your wisdom. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you humble our hearts, that you turn us. If we have gotten off the narrow path, off of the, the, the wire, the path is so narrow, it's like walking a tightrope, Lord. If we have gotten off of it, Lord, bring us back. Uh, We pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray for the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the lifting up. Uh, We pray for the pouring out of gifts, Lord. Um, Be patient with us, Lord. And uh, bring us into your glory. Bring us to a place where our actions and our lives please you, Lord. That they actually bring glory to your name. God forbid that we should walk lives that brings shame to the mighty name of Yeshua. Lord, we just we, we pray for your blessing upon our lives. Purge the iniquity, purge the world, purge all the distractions of the world out of our heart so we can just grab you and you alone so that we can see clearly rather than having the fog of the world cover our eyes and be totally blind from who you are not being able to see even in front of us, and not being able to see your footsteps, Lord. So we pray for open eyes and open heart, Lord, humble hearts that are not exalted above our brethren, uh, hearts that are mended to, to, they're meant to serve, Lord. Um, that, that is why you created us, to, to give you praise and glory, to serve you and to serve others. Uh, we pray that this is the community that we become, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, through faith in the name of Yeshua, that we are inscribed in the book of life. In the mighty name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.